Hi everyone, this is Brandon with a quick note before the podcast. We at Glass Tire are hard at work to bring you the latest news about all that's happening in the art world during this trying time. On our website, you can see dispatches from artists, news about grants and relief for individuals and organizations, walkthroughs and video tours of Texas art exhibitions, and so much more. If you like what we do and you think that our work is important, please consider donating to Glass Tire. We are a nonprofit, and all of our funds go directly back into our work. You can make a one-time gift or even become a recurring donor, helping fund our coverage every month. For more information, visit glasstire.com slash donate. Thank you, and here's today's podcast. Hello, and welcome to this week's Art Dirt. This is Glass Tire's uh, twice-a-month podcast where we talk about topical art topics. Um, <laughs> my name is Christina Reese. And I'm Brandon Zek. And so we are weeks into the uh, closures and cancellations in the coronavirus uh, situation, and I realize that we are going over various topics surrounding this with our various Art Dirts, but this one... I like this one. This one is, we're calling it, uh, we're calling it, is it time for Texas art to get hyper local? Because I think Brandon, you and I both think that maybe it is time for Texas art to get hyper local. Yeah. And I mean, you know, this, this isn't to say that there isn't a lot of local stuff happening in Texas art, but you know, with all of the coronavirus stuff that's happening right now and with travel kind of being locked down and with the rejiggering of money at so many larger and more mid-sized institutions, we think the landscape might change. And a product of that landscape change, even if it's not quote, quote, time for Texas art to get hyper-local, um, Christina, the way we were looking at it, we almost saw getting hyper-local as a way to mitigate some of the uh, larger economic and kind of inhibiting factors of shows, of programming, of different things that will need to be kind of reevaluated at spaces across Texas. And I think this is a thing for everywhere also. This isn't Texas-specific. I, I could see this being specific to all local communities or local art institutions um, across the U.S. and the world. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what's what I think is interesting about this is that it just happens to in a, in many ways it sort of dovetails this the you know what the situation is and what the closures and cancellations and the fact that a larger assemblies probably aren't going to happen for a while. What this dovetails with is what was already a trend as you're kind of saying, which is that museums and institutions and galleries in Texas uh, we've seen the trend over the last five years absolutely turn more local and more regional. M many more museums, many more galleries are focusing on uh, artists who are in their own backyards. And it kind of for a little while, or for most of my history of covering art in Texas, you know, Texas and Dallas-Fort Worth was, uh, especially Dallas, I feel like was pretty bad about needing to bring in art from the outside, from outside of the state, stuff that was considered kind of glamorous and you know snazzy from new york or london or uh or los angeles even and that was all the more valid stuff well you know 
increasingly, I think that there's been a, and part of it, part of it is about um, the emphasis on identity. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that that's made a lot of institutions and galleries kind of do a little bit of soul searching and start to look uh, more carefully at the artists that are in their own backyard who have been doing good work for years and to give that a showing and to kind of reassess the history of Texas art. I think that it's also gotten trendy to get more hyper-local anyway. But, you know, a, a recent uh, conversation that I published, uh, that we published between me and Neil Farso about this, we, we talk about what we think is going to happen. And in the middle of that conversation, I talk about things getting folksier. And by folksier, I didn't really mean, as I said, the banjo on the front porch. I really meant... Things will be happening in sort of like art cells in neighborhoods, but I also mm-hmm. mean in regions. So, well, in this whole uh, kind of trend towards supporting local and regional, I I feel like at least in Texas we've really kind of seen maybe one or two like full cycles of this mindset, you know, like back in the seventies and eighties, I'm kind of thinking specifically of Houston as an example, because Houston is uh, the city in Texas whose art history I probably know the most about, but Houston had a really like local grassroots push. And this was of course, when it wasn't as recognized on the national stage as an art city. And so oftentimes the shows at cam uh, were of, Texas artists or included work by Texas artists in larger group shows, or I'm thinking of um, like the Fresh Paint exhibition at the MFAH that included so many uh, now kind of historic Houston artists or Houston artists who have long been a part of this community who are still making work. Um, and I feel like kind of as Houston gained prominence, the, the pendulum swung that other way. And there was a little bit of a if we're a true art city, we kind of need to start proving ourselves and start bringing in shows that other larger art cities would have or that larger art cities would respect. And of course, that also coincides with things like the growth of the budget of the Museum of Fine Arts Houston and the growth in uh, prominence and recognition with the CAM. And as that happens, those institutions start to share shows with other institutions. So, you know, it almost kind of kicks the local down the curb I, I don't mean that in the like in a pejorative way but it just means that that programming gets pushed a little farther back or that a museum's collection also gets pushed a little farther back because the collections of museums of museums that are collecting institutions so like the Menil, like the mfah uh, like the dma the fort worth modern a lot of these museums have relatively strong holdings by local artists but those mm-hmm. holdings just aren't necessarily taken out out that much because of this continuous rotating exhibition platform you know it's it's a lot easier to get people by the general public to come see a kusama infinity room than uh, it is to see to get the public excited about five paintings by ludwig schwartz yeah and i would like to address that with a couple of things number one is i think texas is and we've talked about this many times in the past i think texas as a as a statewide scene whether you want to call it a bunch of disparate scenes put together or, or one big state i think it's particularly well positioned to really take advantage of its local talent we've always thought that of course we're glass tire 
But, um, you know, we have so much talent here. We've got so many great artists here. And Texas has money. And Texas has institutions. It has the spaces to show the work. So in terms of how well-positioned we are to get hyper-local, we're already set up for it. Mm-hmm. Um, what I also think is that as we continue to, you know, shed light on the great talent here is we do breed sort of regional and local and statewide art stars. And I can get at this point in my life and, you know, and doing what I do for glass tire and having covered Texas art since the late nineties, mid to late nineties, I get really excited about what I think of as our art stars when I see them in museums, I was going to the Cam Perennial recently um, before things shut down in San Antonio, you know, going to the McNay and seeing Buster Grable's big survival vehicle out on the front lawn mm-hmm. was very exciting to me. It was as exciting to me as seeing any of the kind of marquee exhibitions that they were going to have inside. Also rounding the corner of that museum on the same day and seeing Jimmy James Canales's um, Crow mirror piece uh, up was super exciting to me that was as exciting as seeing a jasper johns or a rauschenberg because i i love jimmy james canales's work that is a particularly fantastic piece and i have to wonder is it possible and why wouldn't it be possible and this kind of speaks to what i think the future of museums may be and how people will use them more going forward when things reopen is that people can nerd out on texas art in a really good way and Mm -hmm. start to kind of get their favorites and their hometown heroes and start to look for that and start to expect that i don't think there's any reason why we're not um taking advantage of that and taking advantage of the talent here but what it really needs and what it's always going to need is really really good curation because if you just do it in a slapdash way, it doesn't matter how good the artists are, the work will look anemic. So you've got to really put some power and energy behind it. And I'm thinking about like Suzanne Weaver's current show up that no one can go see, but we got to see it. Uh, and I am hope a lot of people saw it, but the, the Texas Women in Abstract Art show that she's got up now which is a fantastic show. Yeah, and we have a five-minute tour of that show on uh, Glass Tire right now with Suzanne Weaver also. Um, But Christina, so what does this kind of look like in how it will play out to you? Because someone like Jimmy James Canales, who is in the Cam Perennial show at the McNay, um, I I don't know off the top of my head if he's ever had work on view in the McNay before, but I too had the same experience of rounding a corner and seeing his big kind of hung up chrome plated mirrors piece it's this is like a suit that he wears and he like there's a video of him looking at himself in all these mirrors it's wonderful mm-hmm. but you know he he has had recognition around texas a little bit in terms of like he had a, a solo exhibition at saladias which is kind of a a, a smaller nonprofit, but a really long time um, historic place in san antonio so you know he he has gotten some showing. I, I don't know if he's really gotten as much in Houston or in Dallas. I don't think so. But does this look like kind of the expansion of an artist out of their locale to other organizations of the same tier and then eventually into museums? Or does this look like big group shows in museums like a Fresh Paint number 2? Or, you know, I mean, in my mind, it's almost kind of like 
the MFA devoting a, a small gallery to a, a Texas artist or a Houston artist every now and then or, or constantly on a rotating basis and allowing them to do kind of like a nice tight show, something that would almost be like a gallery show for them, but just a really knockout mini show or retrospective but it would also look like places like the cam or the dallas contemporary or you know the contemporary austin giving space for local or regional artists to do like real shows and to have real retrospectives where um you know part of the idea around this that we were talking about before we started recording was that in accordance with institutions' budgets, it costs a lot of money to ship work from Boston and New York and England. And if there were a large-scale show of, I, I'm just, I'm going to throw out an artist who I think could really hold down a show like this. If there were a large-scale show of an artist like Paul Kittleson, the Houston-based oh, sculptor, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, a lot of that work is going to be either out of his studio or from the collection of Houston homes uh, and Houston based collectors. So there's not going to be as much of a kind of crazy bill around the show that there would be if we were doing someone of a similar nature or a similar stature from elsewhere. So, you know, that's one of the ways that museums could use the hyper local kind of and using it as a way to touch the community, but also using it to their advantage in terms of saving money on shows. I think, you know, I think the thing about big traveling shows, the big marquee traveling shows, you know, the imp- like a big uh, show of Impressionist painting coming in from Paris or whatever, I think, or uh, when museums team up with other museums to launch a show that's going to show at all three museums, say one in Dallas and one in Boston and one in San Francisco, you know, they all do cost some money. How much money they make, uh, it varies. A lot of it is about getting more memberships in because they can really play up that part of the promotion. But um, they're not always particularly profitable shows. Some of them are. A big Impressionism show is going to be, you know, fairly profitable. But they can be very expensive to ship in. You know, I think what people, what curators, if they would just get brave enough to ask the local artists to really, really step up, is they, there's a... (laughs) There's a lot of uh, sweat equity that artists are willing to put into their own shows if you give them the space in a museum. I'm thinking about um, the most recent example that I can think of where I really watched it happen um, with a certain amount of ambition that impressed me was when Homecoming Committee, which was a Fort Worth-based collective, uh, and we know a lot of the artists, you know, Shelby Meyer and... um, Greg Rupp and Bradley Brown and Devin Allen were all in it, but the DMA gave them a big old space, uh, in 2013 and they delivered. And then some, actually, it was very, very cool. It was, um, I think it was called available space. That's what it was called. And it was, um, you know what I, I, and I thought at the time, and I think I even wrote about it at the time, it's like museums need to do a lot more of this, like just trust your artists to actually get in here and do the work. And I don't think that that would have cost the DMA much money at all. But I do think that curators, I'm surprised sometimes, as you and I travel around the state so much, I do talk to galleries and I do talk to curators, and I can be surprised at how little they get around the state themselves, because they're always looking to stuff outside the state or just in their hometowns. It's kind of one or the other. But what if they were looking to, you know, the city next door or the city three hours away? 
you know, shipping is shipping though, but you know, putting stuff in crates and putting them in a big truck and traveling a show from Dallas to Houston is not nothing. I mean, that's still going to cost some money. Yeah. And well, one of the, I mean, one of the hard parts about that also is that, you know, I mean, gallerists and curators, they have to display the knowledge that they're looking elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, that makes looking in your own backyard harder. And I mean, there's always a, there's always going to be a prevailing, like, I can get to what's happening around me later, but I need to go see this one show that's, you know, in New York or in LA, that that mindset is always going to be, it's always going to exist unless of course, (laughs) there's literally no way to go see those shows like right now. Gosh, I mean, but it could be such an exciting time to be a curator in a Texas museum. To me, it's it's like, oh, if you could just, if you can, first of all, keep your museum open, uh, but then take advantage of this because the creative curation that can go behind uh, deciding to really take this bull by the horn, so to speak, and show local talent to me, seems like it would be the most exciting thing in the world. Again, I bring up Suzanne Weaver's name because she's been so good at that kind of thing throughout her entire career. But um, also taking advantage of your own uh, your own collection is a huge part of that. And we know that our big uh, that our big museums that have collected for years have a lot more local work in their collections than we get to see. And what an incredibly inexpensive way to put on really good shows. The main thing about this is when I'm talking about strong curation, I'm talking about strong contextualization. Mm-hmm. These museums need to work hard to help the public understand why this work is exciting, why it's interesting and why they should care. But you know, that's the job of museums anyway. And it's the job of gallerists and gallerists already know this commercial galleries. already understand that they've got to contextualize the crap out of work in order to get to, in order to sell it. So, um, but I think that a teaming up or a kind of a cross collaborative effort between different kinds of institutions and even commercial spaces could really, really, uh, benefit everybody i mean if in the next year every museum across texas or every museum show across texas were just texas art from the collection of the mm -mm -mm, like the mfah the dma sama i I would Mm -hmm. be in heaven oh my gosh we would we would be totally in heaven um what what i would like to see is that this kind of thing as people maybe do a little bit less long distance travel, i.e. getting on airplanes in the coming year or two and start to travel more locally, in other words, wherever they can go in their car, I can really see tourism within the state picking up for these museums. And I think that they could take advantage of that. And therefore I think that what you're saying is absolutely true. Like just bring out the local stuff, contextualize it, make it exciting. And I think that, you know, maybe I am just really geeking out right now because I'm trying to figure out something to be excited about, but I am excited about the idea of seeing way more local art everywhere we go. And I can think of artists who I would love to see. I would love to see, I know that, um, Art Museum of Southeast Texas did a show of Celia Eberly's work um, not too long ago. It was probably four years ago now. Um, I would love to see her get a museum, retro- like a museum retrospective of one of the big cities. It just mm-hmm. takes a curator who will, and it's and she's here, you know, and the work is here, and all of these collectors in Texas who have her work would be, of course, extremely willing to loan it. 
Um, but I mean, just, and Paul Kittleson is a great example of that too. And we can think of a lot of artists who I think, uh, would do such a great job with a big museum show, but I, I don't know. I just, I get excited about the idea that Texas audiences could, could sort of suddenly get very excited about Texas art. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That just makes me happy. And it makes me happy to think that local artists can start to, that maybe like real estate developers and real estate owners would, because things are, because there's going to be a huge downturn. The idea that local artists could get into interesting spaces in the center of downtown areas where other things are not happening now because real estate's going to really suffer mm-hmm. and letting local artists do exciting, cool shows in these places that are just going to otherwise stand empty because they're not going to have, you know, no one's going to lease out these places, these giant spaces that are built for offices that are built for, you know, tech companies to come in. I mean, a lot of this is just, there's going to be kind of just this, this vacuum that can be filled by art. I have one question about something that might actually work against a little bit of what we're talking about. And it's, it's, it's less around, hmm, I guess it's less around kind of like the in-person shows because having physical work in a space is going to be a barrier if museums don't have money to bring physical work into a space. So we might see what we're talking about. But the ability of museums to do programming and of other uh, organizations to do programming basically with anyone that they want to because of uh, everyone's what do you want to call it? Everyone's immediate acceptance and pivot towards using Zoom and attending digital events and attending online events. I could see kind of this trend, meaning that museums, other institutions, nonprofits will pivot some of their programming. So it's capitalizing on this technology and the affordability of this technology, like the affordability of an artist to do an artist talk from their own home digitally and our acceptance as a society to this new type of programming. I mean, as we talk, Christina, right now, Fusebox Festival is doing the online iteration of their festival, which basically is their festival's normal program, but online. I don't think yeah. Fusebox is all of a all of a sudden going to pivot and be entirely local. They do have a super strong local component and a lot of Texas artists in their festival already. Um, mm-hmm. I also don't think I'm not saying that Fusebox is going to only start doing online programming, but I could see big museums being like, "Well, we don't have the money to bring them in physically. We still have the money to give them a stipend and for them to do a program and for people to engage with the program how they've been engaging with things for the past." Well, right now, the past month and a half, but, you know, in the future, Mm -hmm. the past six months. There's no doubt that the online and the digital realm is going to continue to be a a big part of how things unfold going forward. You know, there's a part of me that just sort of is resigned to it. There's a part of me that sort of despairs. There's a part of me that thinks that that could be good because the artists are so innovative and they end up doing cool stuff almost no matter what. But uh, I'm still thinking about what it means for people to assemble to some degree. And I think that when the world starts to reopen and when people start to move around again, I think that museums and galleries will be one of the, one of the outlets for people to, 
go out and and do things because I think that sporting events and movie theaters and other kind of places where there's tight seating where people have to sit next to each other mm-hmm. I think that's going to be put off for a lot longer yeah. but I think that museums and galleries are absolutely primed to have people and it'll be controlled crowds I mean they may only let a certain number of people in at a given time they may have arrows on the floor that tell you which way to flow so that you're not you know coming shoulder to shoulder with people who are um uh, you know circling back around the gallery when you've just entered it that would actually kind of be super weird and wonderful and like a social experiment (laughs) in a way i think that an artist uh should come up with like the gold standard of how to put graphics on the floor that uh, help people get around a museum that helps control the traffic. And you would walk into a museum and you would be like, oh, so, I don't know, who would be, who's like really good at graphics? You know, and you're like, so-and-so, oh, these are so-and-so's graphics on the floor. Yeah, yeah, Philip Pyle, these are Phillips. Oh, these are Phillips. Everyone's using Philip Pyle's graphics. Um, I think that would be very, very cool. And of course, you should get paid for it. But, um, you know, I think people will go to museums. I was talking to my dad about this the other day. He's He's had um, season tickets to the Rangers for years, although I think that he and my brother ended that a couple of years ago. But, you know, it's like they're not going to be going to I don't know who's I don't know who's going to be wanting to go sit shoulder to shoulder in a dense way um, for a while. But museums will be I think even people who don't know much about art or or like art will just be so stir crazy and on the weekend they'll be looking for something to do or looking for something to do with their families and museums will be a very obvious choice. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to think that anyway, I hope that museums think that that's a possibility for them and that they will be able to get people in the door. I know that they're really grappling right now with how to make that safe and how to be responsible and how to make sure that they don't have, there won't be big opening receptions with hundreds of people. I don't think for about the next two years, probably. Mm -hmm. I think that's true of art galleries as well. But the art will be there, and people will need somewhere to go. People are stir-crazy. They are dying to get out of their houses and go see stuff. Yeah. I will say, in my personal experience, you know, once upon a time, I had a commercial space. It was called Road Agent. It was in Dallas. And one of the things, and I did show uh, national artists and then even international artists at one point, but... Most of what I showed was local artists. And what I did often is I would tap just by knowing and having and being out and about and being on the ground and knowing who who was interesting. I would give somebody a show who maybe hadn't who maybe wasn't the most obvious person, but I knew they were capable of giving me a really good show and they did. And those shows did incredibly well. They were very memorable. M was one of them. Elliot Johnson was one of them. These were not guys who had had solo shows in museums or galleries in the previous years for a long time. It had been a while. But you've got to put a certain amount of trust in your artists. You can trust your artists. If you know they're good and you know they can deliver, let them. Let them do it. Um... I, you know, I still think about the artwork that they made for those shows. Other people still bring it up. I'm not kidding. Just let the artist do the work. But you, of course, you've got to be in contact with them and you have to know what they're capable of and you have to curate it smartly. But, um, 
I get very excited about the idea that this vacuum is going to be filled by people in our own backyard. I think that that's exactly what should happen. And I think it's a way of making what is impersonal about the online world, which does feel quite degraded and impersonal. I think it's a way of bringing the, a real human element back into our lives. And I think that that's, what's important. And that that's, what's going to feed our souls. Well, and a lot of people who have been paying attention to spaces that do this for local artists and just Texas artists in general can back up that mindset. I know some of the best shows that I've seen by Texas artists are at places that are like, I don't know, community colleges in Houston and in Dallas, places that are just like, Hey, you're an artist that hasn't really done a ton recently what do you got and they give them the space or places oh like my gosh shows yes. at the uh art museum of southeast texas which has an amazing program under sarah beth wilson who's now at art league houston uh and now a program under mariah rockefeller that has generally always focused on texas-based and regional artists and you know they're you mentioned Celia Eberly's show at that museum earlier, but they're kind of the institution that's giving artists their first larger museum shows that they've had. Oh my had. gosh. Uh, yeah, yeah. Art Museum of Southeast Texas is good about it. Caleb Bell is doing it in Tyler. Patrick Kelly at the Old Jail Art Center in Albany always has these great shows by local artists. Benito Huerta at UTA does mm-hmm. kick ass shows over and over and over again all those shows are good that he puts together they're all good he's a great curator he's a good artist and he's a great curator and man we just need to we just need to all pay a little bit more attention to this stuff i mean you and i pay a lot of attention to it and i think a lot of our audience pays a lot of attention to it but i think that we could get way more people excited about texas art if we just play our cards right at this point yeah i agree all right. Well, with that, um, you will be listening to this. This launches on a Sunday. We do, we put Art Dirts out every other Sunday. So we will be back with you in two weeks. And in the meantime, uh, just uh, please visit Glass Tire on a regular basis. We are putting a lot of content up uh, right now. And a lot of it is just very timely. And we've got our five-minute tours going, so if you want to see what art is going on in Texas right now that you cannot walk into a physical door and see, you can see it on our website because all of these spaces are sending us the shows that they currently have up, and you can do a video walkthrough. And also, we know this is a really hard time for a lot of people out there. Glass Tire is a nonprofit, so if there's any way that you want to give to us or help our work along, uh, you can give to us at glasstire.com slash donate. If you don't have anything to give and just want to appreciate our content, that's okay, too. We appreciate you reading and listening and watching. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so with that, uh, we will say uh, stay safe and stay well and take care of yourselves and wash your hands. And uh, if you want to see some art, (laughs) come on over to Glass Tire because we got a lot of art to show you. So see some art. See some art. See some art.